Welcome to a very special social distancing season of Consumed, the podcast about life and flavor across California, and especially at its heart, the Central Coast. I'm Jamie Lewis. Every quarter, I publish 10 conversations I've had with eaters, drinkers, thinkers, and makers, but this season is a little different for obvious reasons. To keep things healthy and safe, I'm conducting interviews via Zoom. Thanks for bearing with me in this new, uncharted territory. Before we get started, I have to tell you about a recent conversation I had with my friend, James Onaveros. He's the farmer and owner of Ranchos de Onaveros and Native Nine Wines in the Santa Maria Valley, and I interviewed him in my first season. Anyway, we were talking about COVID and how much it's affecting everything in the hospitality industry, and then I said, yeah, I question whether or not I should even bother doing another season of Consumed right now, given how scary and difficult everything is. James stopped me right there and said, no, Jamie, we need these conversations now more than ever. James is a born storyteller, so I get why he thinks stories matter. But when he said he wanted to sponsor the next season of Consumed, I knew he really meant it. We need stories about our experiences, how we fell in love with food or wine or brewing or baking, and we need it right now, when so many of us have to put our passions on the back burner just to survive. So, I'm letting James and Ranchos de Anaveros help me, and I fully intend to help him. Find his exquisite Pinot Noir and Chardonnay wines at ranchosdeanaveros.com and check out his new restaurant, The Station in Los Alamos, where you can get takeout on the weekends. Find The Station at thestationlosalamos.com. And as always, Consumed is sponsored by the awesome people at Slow Life Magazine. In preparing for their first post-coronavirus issue, I've been so impressed by how resilient they are and how focused they are on the local community. I cover food for Slow Life, so it's been tricky finding a good way to write about restaurants without stressing them out. But the Slow Life editor suggested I write about farm boxes and CSAs, which is a brilliant idea while those services are going bananas with growth. The point is, Slow Life is a source of community and calm right now when we're all separated and anxiety is running maybe a little high. Look for a copy in your mailbox every other month. And if you're not already in the know, subscribe at slowlifemagazine.com. Kendra Aronson is a 33-year-old dynamo who lives to eat. She's the author of the San Luis Obispo Farmer's Market Cookbook, which is now in its third print run. Kendra produced every bit of that project, from crowdfunding and writing to photography, editing, self-publishing, and marketing. Currently, Kendra's working on her second cookbook, which she calls Super Top Secret, but she assures me that when it's ready, she will hunt us all down and let us know about it. When Kendra isn't shopping, eating, or doing food photography and writing for her own books, she's a food stylist for big shoots with brands like Target, Pillsbury, and many others. She talked with me about the importance of having a dedicated space for her work, about why she became so passionate about food in the first place, and why she's not drinking so much booze these days. Here's my talk with Kendra Aronson. Kendra, how are you? Oh, you know, hanging in there. What about you? Uh... I'm fine. I I did literally have to lock the doors so my kids wouldn't come inside. Yeah. <laughs> I like the kitchen cabinets. Those are oh, nice. thank you. Thank you. And <laughs> I like this. The shelves behind you are so cool and oh, unusual. Thank oh, thank you. Yeah, they're my initials, K-A. I don't know if oh, it's backwards or not. Are <laughs> I, I read something, I think it was on the New York Times, about how people, now that we do Zoom meetings, 
we try to put ourselves in front of a bookshelf and what the bookshelf says about us. Oh, how funny. I'm just in my studio right now. This is where I normally sit in front of my computer. Nice. Is that separate from your house? It is, yes, which is awesome. Yeah. It's really nice having a dedicated space. I, um, previously, I had a room off of our bedroom when we lived in another house, and I essentially was in that room 90% of the time because if I wasn't sleeping five feet away, then I was working at my desk and I had no, no work life balance yeah. whatsoever. Or boundaries, <laughs> or yes. No yeah. boundaries. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And we take those things into our sleep, I think. Oh, yeah, definitely. And now that I have, I mean, the studio is in our backyard, but the, the fact that it is a separate building and I, you know, my commute is. 20 paces. <laughs> it still is really nice um, to have that physical separation. And yeah. I have way better boundaries now. <laughs> yeah, I think that that stuff matters. I totally do. I, I don't have great boundaries. We live in a really small house. Um, okay. And so like, I can see everything from here. I can see yeah. the stuff on my kid's floor and I can see the dust bunnies right. over there. And anyway, <laughs> but you know, we, it's like, I do the best I can. And this is just an unprecedented time. I don't think I would feel the closeness of my family's stuff if they weren't physically present on our property, you know? Right. So anyway, yeah. anyway. Yeah. Um, well, so I, I don't know where to start, but I do just what I'm curious about is you have a lot of stuff going on right now. I know that there's been a, a lot of shift for you, it looks like. Um, what would you say that that shift has been? Yeah. Um, is there a particular shift? Here? Well, I, see, <laughs> I see the style, uh, food styling is a big part of what you do now. Oh, gotcha. Yes. Yes. Um, okay. Right. Yeah. Back up. So <laughs> I, um, when I launched Kendra Aronson creative studio, um, that as a business a few years ago, it was my way to work with clients, um, around food, but it was all encompassing. So I would do food writing and food photography and website design for food industry specific folks, lots of restaurants in Slow County, um, and then food styling. And that was the thing that I was really trying to push and get more into. And over the years, I've kind of culled out the other, you know, skills that have ultimately brought me to this place. Um, so I no longer do food writing, um, except for my own cookbook writing. Mm -hmm. And I no longer do website design. Um, and then I no longer really do food photography for clients. Again, I'm talking pre-COVID. Because <laughs> um, right. everything is now changing. Um, but yeah, I was kind of phasing those out so that I could just focus on food styling and become known as a food stylist in addition to authoring my own cookbooks. Um, and with my cookbook projects, I'm still bringing all those skills to the table. I'm doing all the food styling, all the food photography, the food writing and recipe writing, but it's just specific to my own projects rather than working with clients, um, that way. Yeah. So, yeah, but of course with this pandemic, everything is, 
everything is in flux. Um, I have I have no no incoming work so far. So <laughs> yeah. maybe ask me in a couple months what I'm doing. <laughs> I know, I know. And so what is that how does that affect your day to day? What do your days look like now that this has happened? Yeah, so um I'm now working full time on my book project, which is still top secret. Um, I'm excited to reveal what the content actually is soon. Um, but it's, I can say that it's two parts. It's a website and a print cookbook. The website will come out first. It is subscription based. So people who want to join up for the site to have access to the full recipe database and all of its functionality. Um, I'm pretty pumped. It's there's a way if you're a user to save recipes, um, generate meal plans in a click of a button, you can generate a grocery list, which pulls all the ingredients from the recipes that you're making that week into a really succinct grocery list where it's organized by where you buy it within the store. So I'm, I'm taking all these pain points and trying to make it really easy for people to do more home cooking. Um, and then the, the content of the recipes itself, that's the thing that's secret that I haven't shared yet. Okay. For a very niche, very specific audience. Really? It has nothing, it has nothing to do with San Luis Obispo, uh, nothing to do with farmer's markets. It's, yeah, but I, I, I just I can't reveal anything yet. No, that's, that's okay. Um, I'm going to start poking at you, though. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. I won't. Yeah. I won't. Um, you actually, speaking of the pain points, the place mm -hmm. in the store is a pain point. For me. It's a oh, okay. I mean, just like, well, and here, here's an example is with everything going on right now, my husband's at home, he's working from mm -hmm. home. And so we were so busy. Sometimes he's the one that goes and shops now. And so mm -hmm. I'll say, I know that this is a common, a common um, issue, but I'll say something like, pick up olive oil, please. And what I mean is extra virgin olive oil. And he right. came hot and I said, it's going to be more expensive at such and such store. You need to get it from this other place. Yeah. He said he found a really good deal. He got home and he was like really excited. He said, yeah. I found extra virgin olive oil. I found two liters for $5. Yeah. <laughs> and I said, there's no way that happened. And he said, no, yeah. it absolutely happened. And I looked at it and it was like a canola blend with 5% extra virgin olive oil. And I said, that, oh, rude. That's so rude that they can label it that way. <laughs> they totally can label it that way. It was extra virgin olive oil in huge letters. Anyway, right. super rude. You're right. But he was, I, if I had told him exactly in the store where it was, he's very um, like, you know, he's literal and he's, mechanical and he wants right. to go to the exact spot. So something like that in your book right. would be super helpful for someone like him. Yeah. So the way that the, the grocery store functionality works is, um, uh, is that it's organized by location of the store. So for example, in the bakery, get this, in the pantry, get this, oh. in the produce section, get this, meat department, get this, frozen. Um, so it's because every grocery store, regardless of, um, you know, if it's Whole Foods or Vons or Lassen's, they're all kind of organized the same way. They all have the same departments. Um, so it's, yeah, it's not specific to one store, but rather, okay, everyone kind of sets up architects the grocery store the same way. For sure. <laughs> for sure. So how do you eat at home? I'm assuming that this cookbook has something to do with the way you eat at home, or at least... 
I mean, it, it must have compelled a certain aspect of it. So how do you, what, how would you describe how you eat at home? Yeah, I, um, it's, yeah, I guess, I guess I should answer like pre COVID. (laughs) Everything let's, let's call it PC and and post C. I don't know. Yeah. So pre COVID I was going to the farmer's market at least once a week. Um, if not twice. And I was the type of grocery shopper or market shopper that goes every couple of days. And I only buy a little bit out of time and what's super fresh. Um, and yeah, I, I also enjoy grocery shopping. I know that's not everyone's <laughs> cup of tea, but I like, you know, procuring all the things. Okay. I'm going to go to the bakery downtown and get this baguette. And then I'm going to go to the market and get this. And then I'm going to go to the grocery store and get that. Um, that's totally changed. Now I'm only going to the grocery store once every two weeks. Um, which feels really weird. Is it because you hate shopping so much now? (laughs) It's, well, it's just, you know, like wearing a mask and gloves and doing all that and having to think, what am I going to eat three times a day for the next two weeks? I just, I never used to think that way. I would just think, okay, what am I making in the next three days? What would I like to have? (laughs) Um, Yeah, I was just a frequent shopper, but not kind of more... I guess, European style where, you know, you're, you're buying a limited amount of groceries and then you're using them up and then going back out again. Um, so yeah, very, very bizarre times. Um, and in terms of home cooking, I always am using, I would say mostly nowadays it's pretty vegetarian forward or Mm -hmm. veg forward with, uh, proteins. I eat chicken and turkey and, um, shrimp, salmon, I'd say that that's mostly what I'm eating. I no longer eat beef. That's like a whole nother story. It's more of like an allergy thing. (laughs) Are you, are you open to telling me that story? Yeah. Um, so November of 2018, I think it was, wait, what year are we? 2020. Yeah, it was. Yeah. So, wow. Yeah. It's been like a year and a half. I had a really crazy allergic reaction and it was actually to halibut. I ate a piece of raw halibut sushi, had never had a problem with it. (laughs) I woke up with hives everywhere, all over my body. I was so itchy. I had like lumps on the back of my head that were raised like by a few centimeters and it looked like yeah it was horrible and then from my neck to like the top of my butt on my back it looked like someone had taken their hands and just scratched me like it was it was raised in lines it was so crazy and I had no idea what had caused it but I knew that it was food like some I ingested something that made my body go into whack. Um, and oh man, um, it was pretty rough for like five days and our insurance did not cover, um, allergy testing. And even if I did a prick test on the back, that's it. I, you know, they're more testing for things like pollen and, and fur and stuff like that. And I knew it was food and I didn't know what I ate. Anyways, long story short, I took this, um, this allergy test where you just send in a hair sample, you mail it, and then they come back with this list 
that's organized by red, yellow, green. Red is, hey, cut these things out immediately. Yellow is, you should think about cutting these things out. And green is maybe one day your body will have a reaction to these things. And so I hardcore cut out all the red items, Mm -hmm. which were a lot. It was corn, beef, um, wine, beer. No. uh, Yeah, almonds, dates, oranges. (laughs) I'm listing off all the things that, like, actually affected my day-to-day or, like, my... and almonds and wine and beer. And oranges. There's, like, a lot of citrus and things. Um, And I should back up, too, that my whole life I've always been itchy. (laughs) Like, yeah, just my skin has always been itchy, but... Or like I would get, you know, just like little bumps here and there, but yeah. nothing. I have that. Serious. Very. <laughs> I've always just thought I had really dry skin. Okay. Yeah. And so, um, so I was never putting it together that oh, I'm ingesting all these things every day <laughs> um, that are causing like just these little little flares. Um, and so when I cut those things out within like a week, like my whole skin everywhere cleared up. I felt amazing. <laughs> like I didn't even realize that I was feeling sluggish or, um, you know, maybe bloated. Oh, coconut. Coconut's a big one. Oh um, no. Yeah. It's more coconut like water rather than coconut milk. I've noticed, I don't know. It's certain things. Yeah. So I slowly eliminated or I hardcore eliminated the red things. And then I would, you know, have a handful of almonds and see what would happen. And sure enough, it'd be like, oh, look at that. I'm getting itchy again. It's like immediate. Um, But it's really nice knowing because I, even pre-COVID, I am very conscious about what I eat. And I love eating, you know, whole foods, farmer's market, super fresh, all the restaurants that I support. I know that they have good sourcing um, and they use whole real ingredients they're not you know doing any shortcuts or using um yeah Yeah. um some par ingredients and yeah so it for me I feel that for me to cut out these things it was pretty easy whereas maybe someone who doesn't cook as often or um maybe they're they're not as like critical and observant about every single thing that they're putting in their body. Um, like I am that it would be a lot harder for them to actually stick to it. But for me, it's like, for example, I'll, I'll call it like a cheat day (laughs) and it's, um, you know, I'll have like, Oh, avocado, avocado was on there. So I'll have like, I know I'll have like corn chips with guacamole and I'll have like a granny inside taco and I'll just like go for it. And then I'll just be itchy for like 24 hours. And I'll be like, sure. it was worth it. <laughs> um, so I actually, yeah, it's actually really powerful for me to know because I have so, I didn't even realize that well, it was connected to food. I don't know why just my whole life. I've just been itchy. Now I'm not. <laughs> but again, like you said, you don't know how bad you feel until you feel really good too. Yeah, because I would say that I felt great prior to this. (laughs) Right. Oh, my gosh. When you say that you cut hard on the red foods, I think of you as a person who can do that, who is very driven, very motivated. And if you wanted to do something, you would just do it. So um, that sounds consistent. Yeah. (laughs) 
yeah yeah i would say that's another thing too it's definitely part of my personality of oh okay these are the new rules great i'll follow them i'll do it yeah. <laughs> whereas i know for other people because i had um when i told other friends about what i did because you know they might notice hey why aren't you drinking wine or oh do you want some of this beef i'm like ah oh, no thanks I'm, i'll have this chicken instead um, cause I used to be a really big meat eater. And when I told them I had a ton of friends who did take the test as well, but they've only cut out certain things or they've yet to cut out things. And I mean, everyone's, everyone's day to day is different and yes. how hard or easy it is to cut it out. <laughs> right. Totally. Tell me about how, um, when you just said, um, you know, you, you're very conscious of your food. You think about your food a lot. Where does that begin for you? Yeah. Um, like, where does it, in terms of like, what am I looking for? No, no, or, no. Where do you, why do you care about that so like, much? Why is that important to me? And yeah. Historically, you know, how did you yeah. get into this? Because it's a huge part of your life. Yeah, definitely. Um, I would say that food has always been a really big part of my life and that my my family owns and operates a Mexican restaurant in San Diego. So I like kind of grew up in the restaurant industry and um, my mom is an excellent home cook. She would always have a home cooked meal for us every single night for dinner. Um, we used to go out on Friday night was like restaurant night in terms of um, like going out as a family. That was like the kind of basically the one and only time that we would go out. Um, now that we're older and I hang out with my family, like we tend to go out to restaurants a lot more together. But growing up, it was like literally every meal was at home except for Friday night. Friday night was our <laughs> restaurant night also. Oh, nice. Yeah. Cool. And then when I was in probably middle school is when we would, we would, go out, do our Friday night thing. Um, and then after we would have the meal, we would all rate it. <laughs> like just within our family, just like sitting down like, all right, so what do we give this place for service? What do we give this place for food? What do we get? So it was kind of like, uh, I don't know, like food writing or like restaurant critiquing, like pre Yelp, but you know, in like a very private way, not like yeah. a public way. Um, but it's funny when I, when I think, back to that of like oh they were it's almost like that was a primer yeah. <laughs> for me <laughs> or like how's the ambiance in here what like how are the other people doing what's what's like the vibe here what's the food would we come back here again <laughs> well in your family it sounds like they come from a specific place of they could really assess you know how mm -hmm. is the service would we do mm -hmm. things like this i think there's a huge difference between people who've been on that side of the counter and people yeah. on this side of the counter Totally. Yeah. And then, um, I started working at my family's restaurant when I was 12, um, under the table, I was a hostess for a couple of years. And then since then I've just always worked in the restaurant industry, but always front of house, mm -hmm. um, never back of house. So I started as a hostess and I've, I've done basically every, every job at other restaurants. So bar back, bartender, server, um, busser, runner, like I've, I've done all the things yeah. <laughs> here. Um, yeah. And I always loved working in restaurants. Um, cause I liked that it was 
fast paced. I like that you're, you're in the service industry, you're serving people. Um, usually people are going out to, you know, celebrate or have a good time, no reason at all. And I really, really love that. Um, it's also fun working at a restaurant with the, both the front of the house crew and back of the house. Like when you get into a really good rhythm, there's just like that flow or when there's certain people on the floor that evening and you just kind of all sink in, it's like teamwork. Mm -hmm. I really, really liked that. But after a while I got just burnt out on it, burnt out on, um, you know, there's restaurants can sometimes have like, crazy managers or crazy owners or it's the schedule can be not so flexible. You always need to be around for holidays or evenings. The culture Um, can be unhealthy. Yeah. The culture can be unhealthy. Um, or it, it also seems like there would be a lot of injustice in terms of, you know, how, how tips are shared or not shared. Mm -hmm. Like why am I allowed to get tips when I'm front of house when this guy is busting his ass dash, uh, washing dishes, yeah. but making half what I earn. Why? That doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, it would, you know, be hard at times. And so, but I knew that I wanted to continue working in food. And so I transitioned out of the restaurant industry and more into food media. Media, yes. Um, yeah, with the food photography, food writing, food styling. Mm-hmm. And... And then cookbook making. Yeah. Cookbook Yeah. <laughs> What's the first time you ever took photos of food? I mean, consciously, like, I am doing food photography. Yeah. Um, when I was living in San Francisco, I had two blogs. <laughs> um, and one was called The Big Eat SF and The Big Drink SF. And that was because there was this magazine called seven by seven up in the Bay area. I don't know if you've heard of it. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Free. Still free. Yes. Yeah. Amazing. I don't think they're doing print anymore, but they do have a site. Um, and then I, yeah, I, I haven't lived in the Bay area for a while, so I haven't checked if it's still, if it's still running, but every year they would come out with the big, the big eat a hundred things that you must eat in San Francisco. And then later they came out with the big drink, 50 drinks you must drink in San Francisco. And it was a list that was always updated every year. And I decided to uh, eat and drink my way through them and document it on these blogs. (laughs) Wow. That sounds expensive. That's the first thing I think. Yeah, it it was for sure. Um, But I was working in the restaurant industry at the time and it's, uh, and, and at the time it was in San Francisco. So the tips that you were making were just so great. And that would, that's really, truly how I spend my money is on food. And, um, I'm not really a big shopper or like spender outside of that. Like the majority of my expenses are food and drink. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Which is also a very, I mean, most of the rest of the world spends more, a a bigger wedge of their income on Mm -hmm. food than Americans do. So, so you're not alone for sure. (laughs) Yeah. Um, 
And granted, too, I feel when I was living in San Francisco, my expenses were so different. I didn't have a car. Um, I was renting an apartment. I, uh, I, yeah, I just felt that I, I had diff- just different expenses. So I had expendable income. Um, and some things on the list, for example, would be like one morning bun from Tartine. Okay, that'll set me back $6. But maybe something else would be a steak or no, uh, prime rib from the house of prime rib. And that would set me back, you know, $50. So it kind of just depends on, um, the list overall. And I can't remember, I might've actually added up how much I spent. I think I did. I would have to look back at that. At did that you do block. it for one year? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. And, um, I actually did that eating and drinking through the list and documenting it on a blog and taking photos. Um, I did that as like a training wheels project Mm -hmm. for the slow farmer's market cookbook because I knew that, okay, if I pursue this cookbook, I need to make sure that I can actually hit deadlines that I self-impose and that I you know, am I going to be the one to do the photography and the writing? Do I enjoy doing that? Okay. Mm -hmm. Well, I should try it out on this project first. (laughs) That's really low stakes. It's just a blog. Um, and I have to discover what I enjoy doing. Also, I, um, I built those blogs web design wise. Like, do I enjoy this? Okay. When I, when I post that I had a meal, do I enjoy sharing it and kind of marketing it. So just figuring out what do I like? What do I not like? And how is this applicable to the slow farmer's market cookbook moving forward? So you were in San Francisco. You even knew when you were in San Francisco that you wanted to do a slow farmer's market cookbook. Yes. Okay. So how does San Luis play into if you came from San Diego? How how, how did you wind up in slow? Yeah. So I grew up in San Diego and then I went to Cal Poly 2005 to 2009 and I shopped at the Thursday night farmer's market. Um, I lived pretty close to downtown and so I would go with my housemates every week. And um, so I fell in love with the farmer's market there. And then I, in between San Luis Obispo and San Francisco, I moved to Paris for a half year and I was a nanny there. It was there that I fell in love with like, again, the farmer's market scene and the super simple cooking, just utilizing what's fresh and um, really letting the ingredients speak for themselves. What part of the city were you in? Were you in the city or outside of it? Yeah, in in Paris. I was in, um, there's a little... I wouldn't call it suburb, but it's, um, have you been to Paris before? Yeah. Okay. So you know how it's like a circular city? Yeah. And it's the metro, the one that runs from left to right. I don't remember it, that, but okay. You know, it's, like, it's like the main metro line. There's maybe, I don't know, 18 different lines, mm-hmm. but the one was the very first one. And it's right on the outside of the circle. Okay. But it would be if you're, let's say, let's say you're Sally Lou's and there's the mission. Yeah. That's how close I was. So it was like, if gotcha. Sally Lou's was my little town of New Yi, 
and Paris is like, you're, you're there. You're, you're basically in downtown San Luis Obispo. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so yeah, I say Paris cause it was definitely right there. It was yes. in Paris. Yeah. And then, yeah, I was there and fell in love with food even more and just people over there really celebrate food and they really, they really care. And they're also very intentional, intentional about what they eat. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know how it's how it's processed how it's made and they really honor the people who make it and then i moved to san francisco after that i was actually starting a graduate program um a master's in teaching english and it was there in san francisco that i was shopping at the ferry building farmers market which is great. Have yeah. you been there? Oh, yes. oh, Mecca. It's so good. Um, and I came across the San Francisco Ferry building farmer's market cookbook. Hmm. And it was there that, and this is like a week or two after I had started my program and I came across the book and I thought, Oh no, I just took out all these loans <laughs> to yeah. start this program, but this is a really cool idea. I should do something with this, but I can't because I just started here. Um, and I, I would basically just daydream about the slow farmer's market cookbook during class. It was like, it was all I could think about. I couldn't shake that idea. Did you give and up on so, your program? Did you drop out? Uh, no, I finished it. Because <laughs> <laughs> you're a finisher. You're not a quitter. Yeah. I know. Well, what's funny is I, so I, I took the first semester and that was a lot of prereqs and I wasn't, I kind of was back and forth about the program and then I thought, well, I have to give it another semester because first semester was prereqs. And then the second semester, I was still wishy-washy, which is so not my personality. Yeah. I'm a very decisive person. I don't know what was happening during that time. Um, and then at the end of second semester, I applied to as many grants and scholarships as I could. And I told myself, if I get just one of these, I have to come back for year two and finish this out. Yeah. And then... <laughs> I ended up getting so many scholarships and grants that it fully covered mm. the next year. I'm you like, no oh, excuse. God. Yeah. This is the universe calling my bluff of like, you got to go. <laughs> and I had already sunk all that money into the first year. I'm like, okay, oh, I'm not a quitter. I got to do this. And I can't walk away. I'm still going to have the same amount of debt if I walk away now versus essentially having a free ride yeah. to finish up this program. How has that program, I, I really believe that there is, nothing is wasted in the universe's economy. So I know mm-hmm. that you did that program for a reason. Have you seen it play out in what you do now? Oh yeah, definitely. Because I, so I finished that program. Also, I should mention at Cal Poly, I studied Spanish, French, and Italian. Right. So that's where the language thing came back. And, um, and why I went to Paris, because I, um, was a nanny and I taught English to three girls in the family that I was looking after. So this is before the, the TESOL masters. Mm. Um, and my original plan, cause I'm such a planner, <laughs> uh, was I graduated Cal Poly and I knew that I wanted to live in slow, but it was 2009. It was so hard to find a job and especially with languages. Right. In San Francisco. Um, 
So the only way I saw that happening was if I got my master's and could move back to teach English either at Cal Poly to international students studying abroad or at Cuesta through their ESL, English as a Second Language program. Mm -hmm. And I really wanted to do that, um, the Cuesta thing. And so that's what inspired me to, okay, I'm going to go to Paris, do this thing, have fun. I'm going to go do this program in San Francisco. And this is my ticket back to San Luis Obispo. This is how this is going to work out. Um, But yeah, I, I eventually did move back to slow in 2013. Yes, 2013. So I spent two years in the Bay area and then doing the program and then one year um, just hanging out in the city mm-hmm. doing, I was, I was working at mission cheese. It was this uh, cheese wine and beer bar and doing the big eat, doing the big drink, kind of finding my footing. Okay. Am I going to pursue this slow cookbook? Um, and I moved back to slow with my boyfriend now husband. Mm-hmm. Um, cause Shay, my husband was, he also went to Cal Poly, but he stayed here in slow so when I moved back, um, it was, yeah, it was like a chance for me to actually, all right, let's, let's do this thing. You've been thinking about it for a couple years now, like prove to yourself that you can do it and make it happen. Um, how old are you at this time? I'm 33. I just, <laughs> I just had my birthday two days ago or three days ago. <laughs> I, I actually, that's so good to know. And happy birthday again. Um, no, but how old were you when you, um, when you were really like fomenting this idea about the cookbook? Oh, gotcha. Um, uh, tw- let's see. How old was I when I graduated Cal Poly? 22? Is that how old you are mm-hmm. when you graduate college? Yeah, <laughs> yes. 22. And then I guess I was 23 in France and then started my program. Is that right? 24? Young. I don't know. Young. Yeah. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> uh, wait, actually, let me do the math because I don't know. Um, if it was. So then eventually the book came out in December 2015. Okay. So 2015 minus. Kendra's actually doing the math. Like when she says, let me do the math, she has a pencil and paper. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know why I didn't do that math in my head, but yeah, I was 28 when the book came out. (laughs) Okay. Okay. And so then, you know, we should talk about the process of doing the book. I mean, how was that? Was that easy, hard, fun, difficult? Um, Fun and difficult. I feel like that's most things that, that I do in my life. Um, or anything that's worth pursuing, I feel that it's both fun and difficult. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, I started, um, okay, so when I was in the Bay Area and I came across that book, I then researched to see if other cities had done a similar concept, and um, Santa Monica had their own yeah. farmer's market cookbook, LA, the Ferry Building, Seattle Pike Place, a bunch of other cities, mainly on the West Coast. I think there was maybe one Brooklyn Farmer's Market book that I never got a hold of. But anyways, um, so that, yeah, initially I was just doing research in the Bay, kind of daydreaming about 
okay, what would mine look like? <laughs> and um, what would the flow be? And this is also around the time that a bunch of quarterlies were gaining traction, like Kinfolk and Cherry Bomb. And um, I was just really inspired by everything that was in print those days. And then I felt that cookbooks were becoming even stronger with their editorial design, with their type and their styling and their photographs. Like, I, I feel that every year the bar gets higher and higher. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's like really incredible the, the work that publishing houses and self-publishers are producing these days. Like the caliber is so high, yeah. <laughs> in my opinion, compared to old older cookbooks where they're mostly text heavy um and not photo heavy often and also not story heavy which I yeah I I think that a big reason so many of us can sit in our beds and read a cookbook Mm -hmm. is there are stories that's not just ingredients Mm -hmm. and directions there's so much of a person's personality and character written into everything yeah I agree even even the head notes if you think of older cookbooks with head notes, it's maybe more um, educational or instructional. There's not really a story woven behind it. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I love cookbooks. I, as you can see, I, I own a lot. Um, I have like a cookbook buying problem. And <laughs> you know, it's one of the only, uh, one of the only genres of books that is still going pretty strong. Because people oh, yeah. want to have it in their kitchen. I, I don't know about you, but I hate using my phone for a recipe, personally. Um, oh, yes. Yeah. The worst. Yeah. yeah. If anything, yeah, I'm such like a paper person yeah. that even when I use online recipes, I usually print them out. And then, you yeah. know, it's like splattered while I'm working in the kitchen. Yeah. And then you can <laughs> hang on to it or you can recycle it if it's no good. Right. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Um, uh Oh, you're asking about the process. Yeah. So at the very beginning, it was um, just a lot of research and also figuring out, okay, do I want to self-publish or do I want to go through a traditional publisher? And ultimately, I decided to self-publish because I wanted creative control over everything. Um, Also, when I initially started the project, it was a total passion project. It was not a business. Mm. I that was not my intention. It just turned into a business, um, which I feel very fortunate about. And once that happened, when that, when that clicked and I realized, Oh, I can do this. (laughs) I can make this a business. I can come up with other concepts and other cookbooks. Oh, okay. Game on. (laughs) So, um, that's when I really started pursuing, um, cookbook work and specifically food styling. Cause that's what I found to be the most fun for me. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then while working on, while working on the cookbook, you know, I would just Google everything and university of YouTube, everything. Yeah. Right. <laughs> hey, when you talk about food styling being so fun, uh, uh-huh. can you tell, I don't think a lot of people know what food styling is. What is it? Yeah, definitely. So that's actually a really good point. So I feel that most people don't understand it. Um, It's essentially making food look good for the camera and making it behave and um, act accordingly to what you're trying to highlight. Um, So 
you know, for example, um, there's like lots of little tricks and things that you can do to, you know, make ice cream, like stay alive on set because when you're having to work with ice cream, which is super perishable and it's under like studio lights. Okay. Well, it's inevitably going to melt. So how do we, how do we make it not melt right now? (laughs) And maybe that's using liquid nitrogen or making fake ice cream or whatever. Um, and, uh, one of my favorite things, for example, is, uh, like roasting birds, like turkeys or chickens. Um, and you're, you are using real food, um, real, real actual poultry, but the way that you're treating the outside is maybe with a glaze that is not edible and you're par cooking the bird because if you notice when you roast a chicken and you pull it out of the oven and you let it rest before you carve it, then all of a sudden the skin looks like really crinkly. Yes. <laughs> it like shrinks. It looks like the bird yeah. shrinks inside the skin. Totally. Yeah. And, and that doesn't make for a good photograph. So how do I make the skin behave in such a way to where this is still a real product, but it's, it looks nice for the camera or it glistens a certain way or, um, you know, uh, maybe I'm pouring maple syrup over pancakes, but I've, I've cut that maple syrup with some glycerin. So it's thicker. So it like, it sets and pours better. So just, it's really helpful having a photography background and knowing how things are going to behave or how, um, you know, if, if you, if you're trying to make like a splash in a drink of like when to pull the trigger or like when to throw that object into the glass, that it creates that beautiful splash. Um, so yeah, it's, I think just, just knowing, yeah, just knowing how it will behave either on video or in still images. And also like any job, it's a lot of, um, you know, it's a lot of like emailing and going to the store and schlepping all the ingredients and buying like way more than you need and, uh, kind of doctoring up certain things. Like for example, salads, like I have, (laughs) if I'm shooting a salad, I'm going to take all the greens and I'm going to trim off all the little bits that, you know, I would never do that on my own salad, (laughs) but I'm going to do it for when I'm photographing a salad. to like make it look really, really good. Um, or even blanching vegetables right before the shoot because then they just, they, they pop with the color. So little things like that. (laughs) That's, I think that's a good explanation because I don't, it's a hard thing to explain, I think, unless you do it. Um, and and there are very different styles too. There are, I've worked with photographers where they're in there with the tweezers. Um, mm-hmm. And then I've worked with people who really embrace the sloppiness of it, you know, but they, but it looks just so as it's sloppy, you know, it's, it's made to look effortless, even though it was very intentional. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And that's, I would also say that's a big thing where, um, you know, it just, it looks like everything just, it just every leaf is in its perfect place. It's like, yes, because I tweezered everything. (laughs) And because if there was a spot on the plate, I wiped that with a cotton swab to get rid of that oil. Or, um, if it's, if it's soup, I made the soup, but then I waited until it was 
cold or room temperature because I didn't want to have that film around the soup or like that little skin that it gets on the top or, you know, like little things like that. Yeah. <laughs> and you've gotten some pretty big jobs I saw. What's been one of the jobs that you were most excited about? Yeah. Um, so in addition to doing food styling as the lead food stylist, I also assist other well-known stylists um, who are way more established in their career than I am. And I love that because I learned so much from them. It's, I would say that food styling, it's definitely one of those things where you kind of have to learn on the job um, or be like an apprentice and learn from someone. There's so many little things that you you just simply won't find in like an article. It's like, you have to see it. (laughs) Um, And recently I was assisting this UK based stylist on an LA shoot and it was for Grey Goose. And that was so much fun. And I learned a ton because I'm still, I, I feel more comfortable with styling food and I'm learning more tricks for styling drinks. Um, Yeah. He's, he's super talented, Oliver Blackburn and, He's a gem of a human, and it was really cool to learn from him. And then in terms of my own lead styling, um, I've worked with Target and Pillsbury, Smuckers. Um, do they come to you? Is do you ha- Because your name is out there, they come to you and look yeah. for you? Or do you have an agent or something like that? I don't have an agent, um, and... I, I've gotten work from, you do know Sapient Razorfish, they're that big marketing agency near the airport. Yeah. Okay. So they used to have a big contract with the Smuckers family brand. So Smuckers, Jif, um, Pillsbury, Crisco, all that. And so one of their producers reached out to me. And so I had been contracted through them for several years. So I would get a lot of gigs that way. And then, um, I've also started working with Edna Valley Vineyard of producing I'll shoot and style the content in my own studio and working with them. Um, the target thing that was a producer down in LA who got in touch with me, um, with assisting, whoops, um, with assisting stylists, that's more reaching out to lead stylists in San Francisco and New York and LA. Um, and just kind of getting on their radar. Hey, if you ever need extra hands on set, it's like a lot of networking just through email or Instagram. I, I follow a ton of stylists. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So that, that is more, you, you get those gigs through your, your connections of, and also networking with other assistants to know, you know, if they're booked already and, they can't do this. Okay. We'll float the work to each other. So it's, it's just the network effect of, yeah. 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 And it, it is nice being in San Luis Obispo because I love it here and to be equidistant to LA and San Francisco, it's, it's a lot of fun mm-hmm. and I'm looking forward to it once, <laughs> once things no, um, I know. settle down here, it'll, it'll, it'll be interesting to see what, what that work looks like moving forward and because they still need to shoot photography for food especially I mean the only thing people are buying right now (laughs) I know it's been an interesting thing talking to some of my clients about 
do you want to go full bore into marketing because you still want to be on people's radar? You want to pivot, you want to be, you know, relevant or are you contracting way back and saying, no, we need to, you know, we need to figure out what we're doing going forward. We need to save, save, save. I honestly don't know which is going to be the successful path. I have no idea. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's very weird, uncertain times and it's, yeah, there, I just I hope everyone makes it. I want to go back to all my favorite restaurants and support, support all my favorite farmers and just, yeah, hopefully yeah. everyone can tough it out. <laughs> yeah. And you've become very close with all of them through your work with the cookbook and otherwise I know. And so it's oh, got to yeah. feel personal. Oh yeah, definitely. And yeah, all of, I mean, everyone has been hit, um, in every single industry, but yeah, I just really feel for the restaurants and farmers right now. Yeah. 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 Well, let me ask you my final question, which is, let's say it's your last day on earth. You're having a great day. You want to end it perfectly. What do you want to eat? Yeah. I love, I love that you, you ask this question every interview. It's always fun to hear people's answers. Um, and whenever I hear somebody's answer, I always change my answer. Like, Oh yeah, that's what I want. (laughs) Well, for me, okay. Um, for me, it would be, it would just be a buffet of all my favorite foods. So that would be French baguette. It would be berry pie. It would be wood fired pizza. It would be fried chicken. It would be tacos. It would be just so just, just all the things that I love that just make so many pastries. I love pastries. (laughs) (laughs) Bread. There'd be lots of bread, bread with butter, with salted butter. Um, so many oranges, so many (laughs) dates, so many almonds. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I just love food. I'm just always thinking about it. I'm always plotting my next meal. Um, I'm always thinking about, okay, where am I going to procure this item? (laughs) It's a fun life. It's so great. It's so fun. Yeah. I love food. I, I don't understand. Not that I don't understand. I just don't, (laughs) um, I, yeah, I don't know the people, what is it like live to eat or eat to live? Like some people who can just, they're like food, whatever, take it or leave it. What? Have you tried food? Do you know? Are you sure? (laughs) Are you just eating MREs for every meal? How can you? Yeah. Yeah. That's, it's funny. There's, I I knew somebody a while back who felt that way about music, who was like, nah, I don't really, it's like noise to me. And I just feel like, wait, what? Have you never heard music? I I know what you mean. Yeah. Well, Kendra, thank you so much for joining me on this very bizarre Zoom call. Um, you did a great job by the way. Um, yes. And, um, we'll be looking out for your, um, your super top secret cookbook. When should people look for that? I know I'm so mean. Um, but I, but I will say that when, when I announce it, don't worry, you guys will know it is the only thing I will be talking about for eternity. Um, I mean, I, I feel like I talked everyone's ear off about the Slow Farmers Market cookbook in terms of marketing for the past five years. It's like 
Don't worry, everyone. You will know when my top secret project is revealed. It is the only thing I will be talking about. <laughs> okay, so just one to watch. There we go. Yeah, yeah. Kendra, thank maybe, you. Maybe just follow me on Instagram. That's probably where I'll, yeah. I'll release it first. And yeah. We'll direct people to that. Okay. Yeah. Thanks again, Kendra. Yeah, thank you so much. Okay. <laughs> Thanks so much for listening to Consumed as always. I'm so glad you joined me. Consumed is produced by me, Jamie Lewis, and edited by Chris Lambert. If you want to get all kinds of tidbits like recipes, updates on guests, and new seasons, join the Consumed mailing list at letsgetconsumed.com or follow me on Instagram at J-A-I-M-E-C-L-E-W-I-S. Until next season, wear your mask, wash your hands, cook dinner, send letters to your loved ones, support your local purveyors, and make a budget for takeout. Every little bit helps. Take care, everyone.